0: you're listening to an m pavilion podcast conversations about design and the world we live in for more visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts
1: Good afternoon, everyone. How are we on this beautiful Melbourne day? Thank you so much for coming here and welcome to the first in a series of Untold Talks presented by Agency Projects held across the weekend here at M Pavilion. My name is Layla Guruwiwi and I am a proud Yungal woman of the Gulpur clan from North East Arnhem Land. And on behalf of Agency Projects, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that we are on today the Wurundjeri of the Wurrung, of the Kulin Nations. I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And I would like to also extend that that respect to all Aboriginal people that are here today in attendance. Agency Projects is an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander non-for-profit organisation that exists to celebrate and promote Indigenous art, culture and people on a local, national and international scale. Untold Talks are an ongoing series of talks by inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from diverse creative fields, bringing people together to talk and listen and to, to share their intangible capital, knowledge, experience, histories, culture, and ideas. Today, we are handing the stage to ArtLink Magazine, who are here to celebrate and discuss their most recent issue, ArtLink Indigenous, Visualizing sovereignty brings together leading First Nations who respond critically to the political, social and cultural issues of the moment. And joining in this conversation today is Gundijmara, Jabarang artist Hayley Miller Baker, Yorta Yoda woman and writer and curator Kimberly Moulton, and Yuna Ray, editor at Arntlink, who will be leading today's discussion. So thank you, Yuna. Thank you
2: very much for the warm introduction and thank you to everyone for being here um, and to the speakers. I would like to begin as well by acknowledging um, the traditional custodians of the land we're on here and the many um, lands that our magazine has mapped in this um, current issue, visualising sovereignty. I'd Second that by bringing um, apologies from Paula Bala, who couldn't be here today but absolutely intended to be, and send some um, ideas for us to discuss. And she, along with um, co-editor Ali Gamilla-Baker, who is over in South Australia, um, are the two guest editors on the current issue. So over the 11 years of Art Link Indigenous, which sits within a 40-year history of... Publication in print, ArtLink, um, established in Adelaide, still printed out of Adelaide, but um, back in 2010 when that initiative was taken to really hand over, you know, to share and um, collaborate on that process with First Nations editors and writers and um, authorities in their field. Tradition, we hope to continue that virtually um, every one of our issues, which are thematic in base, um, invite people from our very very diverse Indigenous communities across the country, but also all multicultural Australia that we share. So, yeah, we have a range of topics. Visualising sovereignty comes, perhaps it would be good to ask um, Kimberley to, on behalf of Paula, to describe the kind of editorial premise that... Ali and Paola brought to you and Hayley as well as they pitched the invitation to come and write for Link. So over to you for that, Kimberly.
3: Thanks, Una. Um, <laughs> um, I'd also like to acknowledge Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung people as a guest on their country. Um, have lived and worked here for a long time and it's a um, beautiful country. Uh, I've known Paula for a very long time and and Ali as well, and also um, respect them as strong Aboriginal women, Aboriginal women voices within um, community and the arts. And when they approached me to write, um, I guess the visualising sovereignty idea and and the work referencing Jolene Rickard's. scholarship around um, Indigenous sovereignty and also Professor Aileen Morton Robinson's theories around Indigenous women's standpoint um, really, I, s- I guess, spoke to me. And that's something that both of um, Ali and um, Paula have been working with in that space for a really long time. It, w- it wasn't very in um, what would you like to write about, and so it, it just came out of conversations with them and, um, yeah, expanding on that, I suppose. So, is that, is that answering the question? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, thank you, oh, it you does. Um, and I'd like to really come back to that idea of how the editorial process works as a collaborative space. But Hayley, tell us about the invitation to write for this issue and I know that you had an idea and it took another direction, but yeah, love to hear from, your, um, from you as a first-time writer for Artlink in this instance. Um, yeah, so my... Invitation was not really an
0: invitation, um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, a, it was a conversation on Facebook Messenger with Ali and it was, um, it was at the time of a certain art prize that was awarded to a certain somebody who I shall not name for legal reasons. Um, And basically, I was invited to expand on uh, some Instagram stories that I had put out to the public on this certain artist um, and also the problematic nature of prizes, art prizes, um, and sort of speak to those ideas and, and, um, I guess, what the understanding of judges and the wider... Community of artists and that lack of knowledge by some people um, and lack of understanding of Aboriginal artwork and Aboriginal artists and Aboriginal people working in the arts today. Yeah, there's not a lot that I can touch on for legal reasons. So, um, I mean, a quick Google won't won't stop you from finding out. But anyway, and um, so <laughs> so that was what I uh, was going to write about. Um, and there were a couple of magazines that came forward and wanted to take on that article. And I, I had not presented, you know, I, I had just posted um, quite a lot of things on, on Instagram about it. Um, but they wanted to all expand on it and um, there was not a safe environment for me to do that in with those other magazines until um, I talked to Ali and and we sort of fleshed it through but... Um, once, yeah, I agreed and, and um, everybody was super, super supportive to do that and I'd written the first draft, which I think at that point we agreed on about 3,000 words. And because it's a very stressful and heavy topic um, and there's so much to touch on and history to go through with it all, um, I handed that over and then I received a lovely cease and desist letter uh, with intention to sue if the if that my article went ahead, <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> like quickly called them. I was like, so I can't do this anymore. Um, so we flipped it over. So they were like, that's fine. Why don't you just flip it on its head, reflect it onto yourself, and take what all of this means and put it on you and your experience and what that means for your practice and your experience going through the arts as an Aboriginal woman and what, you know, all of the lo- lines that I was like, yeah, okay, it's, it's an incredibly smart way to do that and still, you know, connect with what had happened and the silencing that had happened for me. Um So then, yeah, I just like took a look inside myself and reflected on, on my last five years in the art world. Um, and I feel like a lot came out of it. So much came out of it that
2: I didn't even imagine, yeah. Okay, well, there. I mean, it's evidence of the power of longer form writing, isn't it? And also the difference between a social media sort of, opportunities to share ideas and then to put them into print, into a publication. So, copyright is a great example of that, actually, something we're dealing with all the time in terms of illegality. Um, So, just a great article came out of that in-depth expression. of of that experience. I'd love you, um, Kimberly, to talk a bit about the piece that you wrote for this issue. And then I'd like to come back to some of the editing. But just before I do, because it was a bit remiss of me to say, if you have a burning question at any time, please raise your hand because um, we'll take those throughout if they're relevant to them.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so my piece, um, Sovereign Sight, I actually started, yeah, I I was going to write something a little bit similar around, I'd had a a, a similar experience on sharing thoughts on Instagram and, um, but I I was interested in talking about the appropriation at at first, you know, ways in which, you know, some of the solutions that I think that are out there in terms of... um, education and, you know, supporting and mentoring, you know, young Aboriginal artists, um, or just Aboriginal artists, they don't have to be young, um, you know, within the community in understanding where their where cultural designs come from and the difference between dots and linear and, and you know, all of those sort of conversations. And in my role um, at Melbourne Museum, so I'm senior curator of Southeastern Collections there, but I also have a practice in contemporary art, curatorial practice. Um, I'm trying to develop ways in which we bring in artists to connect to cultural material, and they learn from, from you know, the cultural belongings of, of their ancestors in terms of design and iconography. Um, but I decided to take it a different way, and after talking with Ali and Paola and a few other things had come up for me as well. And um, I, s- I guess I wanted to talk about a recent project that I'd done called Moving Objects, which was a sustained um, collection access program and a collaboration between Rising Festival, uh, which I'm an artistic associate for, and the museum and kind of bringing that together. And working with Aboriginal artists across um, six to 12 months, and then supporting them to make new work in response to this experience within the archive. So that was moving objects. And then I'd also um, just recently curated the Melbourne Art Trams last year, which was the um, Inaugural uh, First Nations, all First Nations art trams. I just saw one come past then, actually. Um, keep an eye out for them. Thomas Mark's beautiful um, sunshine coloured tram. Um, the importance of um, art within public art and the landscape. Um, and I think moving objects was also curating, um, you know, experiences not not within the institution. So. All of the works that I had worked on with the artists were um, public works. I worked on a, a brilliant film with Daniel Riley, who's an amazing dancer. Um, and we worked in the archive for a really long time and then um, developed a film which was projected from dusk to dawn on the outside of Melbourne Museum um, for about, over the course of Rising Festival and Yeren Boy Festival. Um, and then all the other works were sort of public artworks um, around Melbourne as well. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it was about looking at um, our presence in the, in the public landscape uh, and the importance of that connecting to cultural material and history and, and access to that. Yeah, thank
2: you. If I can just read a little bit here from your um, piece, uh, Sovereign Site: Intersections of the Historical Archive and Artistic Practice a curatorial perspective. You say that um, access to collections and the way artists can mobilise change and manifest an indigenised visibility, which sort of speaks to that theme, within spaces that for centuries we have either been absent from or have re- been uh, represented us without our voice. So the meeting point of contemporary art and historical collections is a conversation where the temporal and the tangible meet And you go on to talk about cultural strengthening. I really um, would like to tease out that idea in terms we write about art, described that in in your own writing. How um, important is a dedicated Indigenous issue in terms of cultural strengthening for the voice of, you know, your communities and your readers. And clearly your readers are here today as well and that's a, a much a wider non-Indigenous readership as well who is probably, you know, there's work to do there. But cultural strengthening, I'll put that to you first maybe, Hayley, since <laughs> it's Thank your you. turn. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think
0: uh, for me, um, I'm a long-time collector of the Indigenous Art Link. Issues. I've got the entire back catalogue. And I'm relatively. She must subscribe, do you? Oops. I do. I do, but back then I didn't. So, you know, I was collecting them as they came out yearly, you know, waiting around for the issue. Um, Yes, I do subscribe. (laughs) Um, But, you know, my practice is relatively new in the scheme of. Uh, Indigenous art, I have been practising for about six years now with COVID in the picture, although I was still practising, wasn't really doing a lot, take away two years, so maybe like four years in the public. Anyway, and, um, you know, so I was quite young when these uh, issues started coming out and I would look to them to see, basically, like, to picture myself in my future of where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, who my peers were going to be, if I ever made. It's pretty amazing for me to write, but to be allowed to write about myself and my practice in this because, yeah, I would just look up to everybody and read all of their words of what they had to say and... And, you know, the art community in Melbourne, in Australia, in the entire world is so huge that it's nice to know, like, you know, I can go to these magazines even when I was younger and flick through and read such beautiful, educational, grounding words from people that were in my community Um, because art is really often... Uh, separate, like, what, what is written about art in Art Criticism and, you know, other art magazines and ArtLink as well, you know, it really separates the person from the art sometimes in the way that people write. And it seem, like, it seems like such a, you know, privileged sort of thing. But then when you're in the art world, it's a totally different experience. So, anyway, so these issues, like, meant a lot to me and,
2: um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's um, great to hear. I think a, a lot of people here will be familiar with that history. Um, Kimberly, how do you um, feel about art art publishing? And certainly, you've edited an
3: issue as well. But as cultural strengthening, yeah, I think the same. I, I've been collecting and looking forward to the Indigenous edition every year. Um, and I think I've, I've my first. One of my first kind of writing, or writing for a publication was for Artlink Indigenous. And, yeah, I guess I did aspire to kind of write for because I saw my mentors and people that I admired in the community writing for this magazine and talking about really important things, you know, for mob um, in the arts across Australia. And, yeah, I learnt a lot and I felt that it was... um, I don't know, just like a really solid representation of what's going on. And I think, you know, I should mention also Daniel Browning, um, who I think is just the most extraordinary writer and journalist and, and researcher. And he's been so influential, I think, within the Art Link. Um,
2: yeah, he He edited, I think, about five yeah. first issues and he's also written for the current
3: issue on Aboriginal yes. criticism and, and in particular. His piece in this edition is actually really important and it's getting... It is so important. (laughs) It's getting to the conversation. Regardless of whether you agree or not with some of the content of that article, I think his point around um, critique and Indigenous critique on Indigenous work um, is so needed. And he and Vernon Arkey, you know, had that conversation many years ago. Um, So his work, along with all the other writers, have been influential on on my work and my thinking. Um, And I think... Cultural strengthening comes from feeling safe to express your culture, to express your lived experience, whatever that might be of being Aboriginal. And I think, you know, with with the way that um, the writers and artists come together in these editions and have these conversations, I think, you know, we can really connect to all. I think it's really important also art, First Peoples Art from Australia and globally. When I co-edited it um, with Dr. Layuli Ashraji, we had a, a global focus, which is this one. Yeah, Kin. <laughs> As a matter of fact. Yeah, 2020. 2020, but time has fallen apart. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to look at the yeah. date because I couldn't remember when I did it. Um, but we went global. Daniel had done a global edition before that also. But um, we we called ours Kin Constellations, um, Languages, Waters, Futures. Um, but, you know, and that, that was an incredible opportunity to to work with writers from all across the world. But, you know, to have a focused edition on Indigenous writing and art is really important because I I guess what I was getting to in my article, um, we've been absent in these spaces for so long. And although, you know, although there has been, yes, 12 years of of Indigenous um, editions and there has been Indigenous content within the other art links, You know, our our presence has not always been there. um, And it's certainly not always been through our own voices. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic. There's a focused edition every year.
2: Yeah, thank you. That's an absolute mandate from the floor, I think, to continue and which we'll continue doing, of course. Um, And I might um, bring my perspective, I suppose, in at this point, because I think the first time I wrote for ArtLink was for ArtLink Indigenous as a non-Indigenous writer. Uh, about a very dear friend, um, a Tiwi artist, Marianne Mungatopi, who had passed away several years beforehand. I'd written something about justice and credit to her and her story, 2012, I I think, it might have been the same issue with you. And certainly it brought her into that. Now she sits there with all of those artists and those histories and we've seen a real shift in the history of... um, I think the main, the central conversations. But one of the things that um, Ali and Paola were very clear about, they wanted uh, just Aboriginal writers, First Nations writers on this issue, which was great. And I think, and we completely support that. I am the non-Indigenous editor. I have to work for whoever our guest editors are uh, and work as, uh, you know, as effectively and efficiently as I can and it was, um, I have to just say, it was my first issue into the job. I'd started, hadn't got to Adelaide um, because of, you know, border restrictions and lockdown. Spent lockdown, we were all here at the same time, in fact, in lockdown variously. And about half of the, nearly half of the 14 riders on this issue were, had been, were in Nam, So they'd already been locked down for a whole year. So there was a real lot of intense, personal stress on writers uh, for this issue, and a, a rookie editor who hadn't even set foot in the office, so we were working on Zoom, shout out to my um, manager, Megan Rainey, up the back there, and Jasmine here, on who um, ja- Jasmine Argent, who are both across from Adelaide as well. So, we had this kind of very dynamic teamwork. A lot of people have been working under those conditions, but with the process of editing, I'm endlessly thinking, is this like, how did I go? How good? Was I good? I mean, I had some wonderful feedback from some um, of the writers, and some didn't say much at all, and this is not just about me, but just about, we're writing all the, very often for publications, and Kimberly, you've written a lot and published widely now, and you'd be dealing with white, structures, for want of a better word, and institutions, it's like, we've got a style guide, we've got a deadline, we want this, we spell it that way, what, you know, can you speak a little bit to that? And I think, um, let's yeah, put it there. Sure. Um,
3: you were great.
1: Oh, <laughs> well,
2: that you was know, good, in I public, think, what could she say?
3: Um, but I think, I mean, I had some very strong opinions back to your editorial, you know, suggestions, and we had that conversation, and that's what it's about. It's about listening, listening is like that reciprocal kind of thing that should happen. It shouldn't be just one-sided. Um, so, you know, I felt... And, and also having, like, Paola and Ali as, you know, guest editors, it, it was a, a space that we could have those conversations, you know. Um, but, yeah, I have been writing for a while and I, I sort of push back. I, sometimes I just sort of go, no, nah, this is how we're doing it. I don't care if you've sent me your style guide or... <laughs> <laughs> See how it grows, yeah, she did, and
2: that's but that's <laughs> as it should be With I think respect. if we're um, yeah if we're serious about changing the models but making the model making it yeah, work for but everyone. I always
3: try um to explain why as well like like and we all have mob have these different methodologies where we're trying to whether you want to say decolonize or unlearn from you know the systems that we've been expected to kind of write within and Western systems of writing artists. Aboriginal artists by their last name in text. I more often than not know them, sometimes they're my family, and I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, relationship with her and I'm working with her in, in that cultural context. So for me, I, I really push to try and um, flip that within my writing, within, you know, art publications. And it's fairly simple, but it can be very problematic, you know, for, for editors, they, they struggle with that. Um, and I've had that writing with the NGV and, you know, other places where they're big institutions that have these catalogues that have a, a style guide and a consistency that they need. And so trying to just negotiate and, and kind of work through that, um, you know, and sometimes it's worked, sometimes it's just been uh, too hard and um, the, the outcome for the artists and for what I'm trying to achieve within the article is worth more than, you know, having, having that kind of, I suppose. So, case by case. But, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and that ultimately, you know, that's real collaboration, that's real reconciliation and and it's a really intimate experience working with people's writing and ideas uh, as an artist and curatorial sorts of practice. So, it's, you know, it's sometimes, I mean, it was great, I really enjoyed it, (laughs) working on this issue with all of the writers. but I think we need to keep a really open mind to that. And I think one thing I would really love to see is First Nations writers writing outside of their community as well uh, about
3: broader, non not necessarily Indigenous-only issues.
2: Yeah, agenda. I mean, of course.
3: Or Indigenous features. Um, and I have certainly... I mean, I write about, you know, First Peoples' art because that's what I do, that's what I love, that's who I am. <laughs> um, and that's my space or... I don't like, I'm not an expert, but, you know, people like using the word expertise, especially in the museums. Um, but, you know, I work within that space. But I've written for other publications or non-Indigenous themed, you know, editions. So, it's really important that our, our voices are across all of those spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. And Haley,
2: um, what do you think, uh, or either of you really, what do you think... Um, some of the issues that were really front and centre ten years ago, ten, twelve years ago might have shifted. What do you think's really paramount now? What what would the next issue be? I mean, guest editor, just in terms of themes or things that are really bothering you? I have no idea. Appropriation. Um, <laughs> I just, Appropriation?
0: Yeah, I mean, well it's heavy. I think that um yeah, Daniel Browning, his article in the issue is, you know, for me, it's not new. It's not new to read that but it's also a little bit, it is groundbreaking and I feel like that just, you know, it needs to be addressed and that needs to be an entire issue really because there's so many points that you can touch on there. Um, I wish I could have but can't, couldn't. Anyway, and... um, you know, it's yeah. I think that's it, and I think going forward, um, I think that artists writing about um, how they want people to receive their work versus how it is received in community or from curators on the outside of the Aboriginal community. Um, because I tend to think, well, from my own experience, that there there is a lot of pigeonholing and um, categorizing. Um, when it comes to anything that's Aboriginal-related, um, so always hearing from the artists themselves is really, really great as well. Um, yeah, you can. What What were you going to say a minute ago, Kimberly? Oh, no,
3: there's so many themes. I'm interested in. Um, I think what you just said around crit- critique, and I think Daniel's so articulate and incredibly amazing. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there's some really important points he makes within his article. But also, I guess, appropriation and, and you know, there's a whole spectrum of that and, and those conversations that we all have, you know, to each other. Um, and that's sort of what Danielle was getting at too. Like a lot of the critique comes, is in conversation and not necessarily in, in publication. So how do we sort of move into that space? That's also safe and, and there's a difference between informed critique and just being critical, and you know it's not um, posi- it's not constructive to just be critical it's actually about um, empowering people as well um, within their work so
0: and there's not a whole lot of like in reality I mean there are there is an art magazine that who has started bringing back the form of like soft review the critique um, and I find that you know critique is so important and it it lends to evolving and an artist further understanding their work or how it's being received in the public as well. You know, I might go in with a certain intention, but nobody is picking up that intention or, you know, that, and what
2: they are receiving,
0: that helps me go further, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, I think absolute hunger for criticism. And I should say that uh, Daniel Browning is joining me on a panel tomorrow, which is one of the Melbourne Art Fair conversations. Online And Kimberly is, of course, booked up and she's got to race off fairly quickly uh, when we finish up here to participate in another Melbourne Art Fair conversation as well. So those are being um, broadcast online. But it's really, and that's the questions that, that we keep having about where that space is and I think there is balancing care, what you're talking about there, with balancing care for community and artists as well because we're sort of fragile and so are our arts and cultural institutions, just very broadly speaking, um, that we need to kind of protect and reinforce them. Uh, But I I think we need to be producing issues where we have quite different points of view sitting side by side. As well in an issue, and I say that more generally, so that you get that tension between the for and against, or the debate, or the you know the long form discussion. Um, and we're certainly inviting some of our writers to think
3: about expanding on those. And I think it's okay, to, you know, like to have a different opinion to someone else. I think there's this, you know, where if you speak out and have a, a, a different opinion, that you know, you, you sort of get cancelled within that, or you get called this or that, and I think having in, you know in, um, around things is, is really important for growth, like you're saying, um, and to because how is anybody going to know
0: if nobody's saying <laughs> you know <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> and, and yeah do it in a way that's that's safe and respectful of course um, yeah. let's
2: let's be polite about Aboriginal art to quote Vernon Arkey, who was being ironic, of course, and it's a piece that um, you know that Daniel Browning that we're talking about revisits in this issue. Um, I think we have about 10 minutes left, and I'd like to ask if there's any questions. I did see um, Cade from Agency here before, but I don't think he's here now. Uh, I wanted to say thank you very much to Agency and M Pavilion for having us. I should have said it earlier, but um, certainly, yeah. Do we have any questions from the audience? That means we said everything. You said everything, amazingly. I, I, I When you talk that, Could you talk Sorry. a little... I, I like to yell.
1: <laughs> oh, Thank hello. you for Hi. a question.
2: Hi, my name's Becky. Thank you. Hi, Becky. Um, could you talk a little bit more... I know, Haley, it's tricky for you to talk about critique, it seems. I'll Google later. But when you're talking about... Um, critique and criticism and the difference. What Are you talking about, could you just tell me who and how and why and what you want more? Anybody.
0: I think as long as you are informed of whatever it is that you're critiquing, as long as you know, you know, a pretty solid history and what's going on in the art world now and what that person's practice entails and who they are, then... You have a right to critique. Um, You know, it would be no point if somebody came in who had no idea who I was or what my work was or had any idea of, you know, who I am in the point of Australian history, you know, to start critiquing because that's not helpful. It's quite useless. But, um, yeah, I mean... Aboriginal people critiquing on non-Aboriginal art, non-Aboriginal people critiquing on Aboriginal art, you know, it's, I think the whole playing field just needs to be widened.
3: Yeah, I think also we see a lot of reviews of of exhibitions, um, you know, that that talk about the exhibition and they might, they don't go into often like the the problematic aspects of the exhibition through fear of whatever. you know, and I think, and sometimes there, there might not be any problematic, you know, sometimes it, it, there's, it's not warranted. But I think, like, to have that actually, like, a really rigorous conversation around these things that does require some braveness. Like, I think Daniel, you know, had critique on certain artists within his article that he felt he needed to say. And I think that, um, you know, having these conversations around shows and things that the work's great, but... You know, like actually talking about that, um, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. And, you know, it also means that I might be within that space too. But like we're saying, you need that to grow and to develop a, a practice I think
2: yeah. absolutely that maybe the word that I've been using or thinking about this is a fearlessness, but it is done with respect and also with a reference to history because you're talking about Daniel Browning. We've got people like John Mundine and Hetty Perkins and Sorry. Brenda L.
3: Croft who have been
2: out there, just to name a few, I
3: might add. Yeah, that have been leading. Have been, and I think Daniel, um, he quotes someone and it's talking around, you know, the the way we can write about art that is fashionable and art that is going to make lasting, you know, long change and effect. Um, and these these sort of conversations don't, don't aren't really expanded on within Aboriginal art and, you know, curatorial practice, I don't think, enough.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that I've abs- uh, very much enjoyed in um, my few months in the role is looking into the archive of 40 years of discussing these ideas from... Uh, really early, you know, early 80s and when you look at the contemporary Aboriginal art movement as we tend to think of it certainly in um, your lifetime, you've seen that. Uh, there's really, there's dramatic shifts and changes in, which I think are great and I think the heavy lifting has been done by First Nations writers and curators in these spaces and you can get a sense of
3: how far we've come as well as still how far, how much work there is in that yes, space. it's interesting though, I, the, the 90s, for Art Month, his article, and it's where he critiques the, the arts and the lack of kind of respect at that time that there was for Aboriginal artists, particularly Southeastern Aboriginal artists. Uncle Ian Otis was a Yorta Yorta man. There's a massive retrospective of his work at Shepparton Art Museum at the moment. Um, And, yeah, he he talks about... Oh, yeah, front cover. (laughs) Um, Paola um, has a wonderful conversation with Belinda Briggs, who's a Yorta Yorta curator at SAM, and Shelley McSpedden, who's acting director at SAM at the moment, on their show. Um, But, yeah, Uncle Lin sort of spoke about this anthropological hangover that lingers when, you know, um, Aboriginal artists of the South East are considered within institutions and the fight to be recognized in these kind of places as contemporary Australian artists um, and you know the the, the the issues that he spoke about in that article are completely still relevant today um, and yes we have definitely come leaps and bounds and there's been huge progress in, in many ways um, but then it's re- it was really interesting to read that which was around I, I can't even remember when it was, but it was the 90s. Um, and just the parallels, you know, that, I, that we're still writing, that I'm still writing about um, and other, you know, writers that have come before me. So, yeah, I guess it's interesting. And there's been, like, even in early art links, really early art links um, pre the Indigenous edition, like when Brenda was writing and John Mundine and, you know, they were talking about this thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. wrote back in 2000, which I've been looking at because um, the Adelaide Biennial is about to launch in early March and we'll be over there being Artlink over there, which is going to be great. Um, And Sebastian Goldspink's return to that as well to reflect on what's changed for Indigenous curators and and maybe what hasn't as well. And and there's, you know, there's unevenness, of course, across different organisations, institutions. Uh, so, there's still lots of space and lots to explore, and we really welcome um, proposals and expressions of interest from people across communities. So, share that with your um, friends and extended networks too, because we want to keep doing what we're doing. And um, just to acknowledge, as I said, 14 other writers in this, or 14 riders in all, and the amazing work of Ali um, Baker and Paula Bala. And what a a real adventure it was, I have to say. We had obstacles, but we surmounted them. We got the magazine out before Christmas, which was incredible. We've got a fantastic design team and um, system in place. Despite all of that, I think we're all surprised. I was. (laughs) We're all exhausted. Uh, Massive thank you to both of you with your super busy schedules for um, coming along and speaking today. And it's a real pleasure to meet you both Person and I hope there's a lot more opportunities to do that, and that you continue to write with us and work with us and explore the archive and so many things that that are just um, you know to be discovered and continued. And there's still time for a question if anyone's got one. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, it better be quick and good. It's quick. Well, no, I don't know. It's quick. It's probably not good. Um, I'm. I, I. personally am really interested in the relationship between being a curator
1: and critique.
2: Like yep. there's there's a role that is played as some kind of gatekeeper, and having an... you're an artist and curator. And Haley, are you a do? You, are you a curator too? Nope. Just an so artist. So it's an, It's just okay. That was long, but I I think um, just to. Just to answer that, so many people working in the arts are artists, they're writers, they're curators. They're working across so many spaces, partly because they need to for financial sort of anything (laughs) that's offered in terms of opportunities to share stories but to make, you know, a bit of money if that's possible. So it's not unusual and they might critique as well. I mean, we do
0: it all, you know. Yeah. We have to like market ourselves as well. We have to curate. I mean, I'm not a curator, but I have to, like, set my work up in a way to deliver it to people that, you know, is in a curated way. It's working in the arts is, it's a huge job. It's like 500 roles in one, yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't, I, like, I couldn't be a curator. My practice, you know, is, is curating, but I couldn't not write if I'm not a curator. Mm-hmm. I think it's if you're not writing and exploring ideas and developing that skill, you know, I, I mean, I look at probably the article that I, the first article I wrote for um, Artlink years ago, it was fine, but I look back on it now and probably go, ooh, you know, <laughs> I might do something, but that's just growth, right, and change, like it was 10 years ago, um, but yeah, so I, I guess I work at Melbourne Museum, a big caring for cultural belongings, caring for futures and, and access, you know, for for mob into that space, and and rethinking about, you know, the archive and, and our, relationship, our relationships to that outside of a colonial context of, of this very Western museum that I work within. Um, but then I do all this other stuff outside of that as well and trying to bring all that together and trying to make sense of it myself. Like I'm not the first person to work at the intersection of, you know, history and, and contemporary practice. There's been many people before me in Australia that have done that. But um, I guess I'm trying to figure out my way, my yorta yorta positionality within that as well. Um, and trying to, I guess, yeah, work on my writing and work on what it means to be a curator in a, in a cultural context as well. Um, I think in terms of critique, I mean, I'm very critical of myself. <laughs> are, you know, I'm constantly thinking, like, about a lot of things and um, and talking to a lot of other writers and curators about about ideas and the way that we work and... I'd really love to form, you know, more collective practice with other curators and and artists within the country. And, you know, I've done lots of, like, collaborations um, over the last few years with different people, so that's probably something I'd like to, you know, investigate more and that that way you can have those critical conversations between, you know, those, those small spaces as well. It doesn't have to always be big public things.
2: Yeah, so that was a good question. Great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the um, last question. I believe, Rebecca, is that? Are we good for time? I'm looking at the sun falling. Um, I'm very sun conscious myself. Uh, so, yes, Look, a huge thank you, I think, is in order to everyone for joining us. Most appreciated.
0: listening to an Empavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at empavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.